Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. Not only have we made it to another weekend, but it is somehow September in the year 2021. Coming up, we talk to actor Harvey Guillen about his character Guillermo on the FX series What We Do in the Shadows and how he sees himself as a queer, first-generation American actor of color. I had to learn that I I didn't sign up to be anything but uh, an entertainer. And by entertaining people, I can provide an escape and and laughter. And that is my contribution. Plus, Dr. Aaron Jansen of Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago walks us through a significant recommendation from the American Medical Association to do away with public gender markers on government-issued birth certificates. For a subset of people for whom a birth certificate designation does not match their gender identity, life is made so much easier. But first, we have a great panel this week, and I can't wait to introduce you to our guests. First up is Jasmine Garz. She's a national correspondent for NPR based in New York, who also happens to be one of the minds behind Alt Latino from NPR Music. Jasmine, hello. Hi. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, We also have the host of Jill Afternoons on Vocalo, WBEZ's sister station, Jill Hopkins. Jill, hey. Hey. So, I don't know. Obviously, it's been another rough news week, but I figure since both of you happen to be like super great music nerds, we're just going to like focus in on all this week's music news because there's actually a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I think we should start with music festivals. They've mostly been back this summer after a pandemic year that was brutal for the music industry. Here in Chicago, Lollapalooza happened without becoming like a COVID super spreader event, which was pretty good news. There have been some dicey festivals, though, in terms of COVID. The Watershed Festival in Oregon was linked to 200 COVID cases. Jill, you're in Chicago. Did you end up going to Lollapalooza? I was supposed to, uh, but there was like a COVID outbreak not outbreak but somebody had a breakthrough case and i wasn't gonna chance that whole thing sure but our team was out there we had uh, we had a couple of folks out there and they said that they were more comfortable of course in the the media area Mm. where everybody's kind of just away but that it wasn't as difficult to kind of stay back away from the crowd as like kind of those drone pictures would make you think (laughs) so if you were kind of crowd averse anyway there were plenty of places for you to be and you know i but i wouldn't have been you know in the muck anyway just because of Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. i am as a person (laughs) Yeah, I respect that. So news we got from this week was that Bonnaroo was canceled, not because of COVID, but because of flooding there. Um, Jasmine, have you been going to any music fest this summer? Yeah, it's so weird. When You know, when all these like the the, the, the baby debacle and, and, you know, everyone was canceling his appearances because of his, you know, his homophobic uh, comments. And I was mm-hmm. like, wait, 
Lollapalooza was happening. (laughs) (laughs) So it just wasn't even on your radar. You're like, oh, wow. It wasn't. Um, And I'm a former music journalist. I follow this stuff. Um, I've been going to small concerts in which I keep my mask on um, and outdoor Mm. concerts you know, as we're seeing like more, um, spike, like more of a spike with, with the Delta variant, I'm definitely starting to feel a little more cautious, you know, and reconsidering. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Um, I don't, I, I'm conflicted about it because I understand the importance of, especially something like Lollapalooza, in terms of the careers of a whole lot of people in this industry. Jill, can you talk a little bit about this? Like, those fests are super important. They are really important. Uh, we we tend to think about uh, you know music festivals and careers in terms of you know the artists, but there is a, a lot of people whose livelihoods behind the scenes depend on these sorts of things, especially at a festival at the scale of Lollapalooza or Ride Fest or you know Bonnaroo. This is how a lot of people plan to make their money over the summer and after the year that we've had of people having an entire summer, an entire fall tour season, an entire winter and an entire spring tour season Mm -hmm. without any of that money. uh, Yeah. It's, it's devastating to, to a lot of people who've made this their lives work. And then if we want to go back to the artists, these festivals, uh, especially, you know, the small font act, Uh, nobody's Mm -hmm. crying for, you know, the Foo Fighters, nobody's crying for the, the big font acts, but the people on the bottom of the bill who's, you know, this is their they chance make to, their career, to yeah. make their careers, to win over some new fans, to to break through, to, you know, this is their, their big break. And it's just not happening for a lot of acts. And people are having to get really creative about how they get their music out there and how they engage with their fans. Totally. I, um, I'd say most of my friends out here in New York are musicians, like small up and coming musicians and, you know, their, their money is made um, playing live and especially with merch, you know, hmm. um, and that's gone. That's income that's gone and it's, they're hurting real bad. And that's not even mentioning like roadies, audio engineers, vendors. Um, so yeah, it's I, I understand why there's this desire um, to, to hold these events for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just another really great example of the whole like, you know, yes, we all want to get back to normal, but like at what cost on the other side, too. Right. Like it's just it's just very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So last week, Kanye West dropped his 10th album. It's called Donda. Um, It's named after his mom. It's a solid hour and what, 47 minutes? Um, Pitchfork called it unfinished and with a lot of baggage and said that it was a data dump of songs searching for a higher meaning. Uh, Jill, have you listened? Uh, I I feel as though I'm contractually obligated to... (laughs) As a, you know, a hip hop <laughs> music journalist and as a South Side of Chicago. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it is. Uh, it's very long. Like, that's a lot of music for a, a single album to be. But like, it's it is. I, I don't disagree with Pitchfork's assessment there. There's a there's a lot going on. And that listening party, which I also did not go to because of who I am as a person. Mm, at Soldier Field in <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looked it looked like a lot that 
there's a you know Kanye has a lot going on and I feel like that listening party and this album to that same extent is just stream of consciousness with a huge budget mm. yeah I I everybody was like oh we're just waiting for everybody you know certain Kanye stands <laughs> like sure, sure. we just want this album to come out and I was like I think we should take his time Well, also, I mean, I think there's this trap about like when you hype something up so much, it's, it's a trap. Like it, it's very hard to live up to the level of hype that he, and he's a great hype, uh, you know, he's a master of that, but it was almost like what could have possibly lived up to this, you know? Um, Mm. I mean, some of the songs are, are really great and beautiful. Like I love jail, for example. Um, until this is going to be controversial until Jay Z comes on. God in my cells, that's my celly. Made in the image of God, that's a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's something that also happens to me when people are like singing or rapping or doing stand up about being billionaires mm. that is like something in me just kind of shuts off a little at this point. Yeah, no, that's, I, I would agree with that as well. There is, uh, Calabasas is a cesspool. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you, it's, it's like a twilight zone place where things happen, where the rest of the world just cannot relate. It's very like incestuous. Everybody just dates each other. Uh, it's, it's a madhouse. So like once Southside Kanye became Calabasas Kanye, he stopped becoming mm-hmm. a relatable guy. Once he started having Kardashian problems, he stopped being a relatable guy. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that he still isn't an interesting lyricist or still not a really great producer. It just means that, you know, the rest of us simply aren't going to be able to, you know, to scream along in, in fist pumping you know, solidarity, like like we used to be able to do. There's even a song like Gold Digger. I've never been a gold digger, nor have I been uh, in a financial position to be a gold dig e. but it was still, like, a very, like, oh, yeah, that's regular people stuff. Like, you know, mm-hmm. child support's regular people stuff. You know, getting left by your lady is regular people stuff. This is not regular people stuff. A hundred percent. Like, I also can't. I have never, I don't date successful people. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't identify with Gold Digger. (laughs) I have a no successful person policy. God, Justin, that's Please put that in your Tinder bio. I feel bio. like we need to like... unpack that in like a whole other episode. <laughs> like we're going to have to come back to that one. So I want to talk about something that blew up on Twitter this week. Lizzo caused kind of a stir when she released her personal opinions on the king and queen of pop and some other genres as well. Um, she declared the king and queen of pop are Michael and Janet Jackson. Uh, Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, and Rihanna made it to Prince and Princesses. And, of course, Lizzo, I think, fairly crowned Beyonce as the queen of music in general. Um, what do y'all think of her music dynasty? Did you did this pop up in your feed, Jasmine? You know, I am I, I agree with the list. I 
I love Janet Jackson. I don't know. I don't know that I would place her there. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm sure I'm offending a lot of people. Um, that was a heavy <laughs> exasperated. Jill sounds upset. <laughs> no, what? But tell me. I mean. I get it. I get it. I mean, Madonna still exists, right? So no, I know she's become yeah. like insufferable with her rose petal baths and stuff, but like she really was like the, the queen of pop for a really long time. And, and I think as someone who, who does a lot of pop culture coverage, like the fact that we, we completely ignore her at all is, is a little weird. Well, I would, I would counter with Janet still being super relevant and she's been around for, you know, the, the same amount of time. And if we're looking at, like, album sales and, like, chart positions and stuff, the, the argument for Janet Jackson can definitely be made. I've never seen Madonna in concert, but I've been to, like, 10 Janet Jackson concerts. <laughs> Mostly because I can't afford to see Madonna in, in concert. She is <laughs> prohibitive in her ticket pricing. But I, you know, Janet's still out here putting on great shows still out here selling lots of records there was just an auction earlier this year um where you know i think she was just like emptying out a wing of her house or something and uh you know she raised just millions and millions of dollars for a a charity so people are still very much into her i don't know i think that janet and you know if there was a versus battle (laughs) Oh Janet God. and Madonna. I wouldn't want to watch that. It, I, would, it would I would be, be tough glued to, to it. I would be glued. I would fly somewhere for that. There would be no survivors. <laughs> I mean, you, are you saying that like Janet would pull a Jada kiss? <laughs> Go on. I mean, Janet's from Gary, Indiana. Like, <laughs> don't mess with her. <laughs> No, look, I mean, and for Janet Jackson fans, like, I love Janet Jackson. Please don't come after me. Um, there were a couple of people missing on, like, I don't know, like, wh- where, I mean, does Prince, should Prince mm, be considered? Should be there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's think about it this way. Let's think about pop music as, like, uh, like a municipality of nations and each nation can have their own king and queen they can have their own sovereign there you go. leaders yep and so like you know we could have mike and janet and like prince as like the the you know the the royal party or the royal family of like you know the midwest or something <laughs> like that Although Madonna's from Detroit, but she would never claim that. She would be New York, uh, you know, New York based. And they could have their own thing altogether. Justin Bieber and Drake, they can take Canada, you know. Then we get like Beyonce and everybody from the set, like Outcast. You got the South covered. So, like, I think that there's room at the Royal, you know, round table for everybody. <laughs> but Lizzo, you know, Lizzo being from like Minnesota. I can't mm-hmm. believe she left Prince off that list. I know. That's, yeah, that is when weird. I read that, I was like, oh, good Prince. She worked with him. She knew him personally. That's yeah. that's weird. I don't know, though. I really like the idea of like a, a regional monarchy. I think that's lovely. Or like Archdukes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown can be over there on the East Coast as well. Mm-hmm. Holding it down <laughs> for, you know, New England. I, I'm, yeah, I'm for this. I've decreed it. <laughs> 
Jill, Jasmine, thank you both so much for talking with me. This was such a pleasure. Thank you, Greta. This was such a fun break from recording on terrible things. Oh, good lord. Our next guest is one of my favorite characters on TV. His name is Harvey Guillen, and you may know him as Guillermo in the FX mockumentary What We Do in the Shadows. If you don't watch this show, it's about a group of vampire roommates who share a house in modern-day Staten Island, and Guillermo is the familiar to a dude named Nandor the Relentless. Being a vampire's familiar is like being a best friend who, who's also a slave. Toward the end of season one, Guillermo learns he is a descendant of a famed vampire hunter, which makes the fact that he lives with a bunch of vampires even more interesting and hilarious. The third season of the show just started on FX on Hulu. Harvey, hey. Hey, how are you? So I think Guillermo is a really interesting character for a number of reasons. There's sort of like an ultimate underdog aspect of him. You know, the fact that he's sort of like this long-suffering, endlessly patient dude. Um, But of course, you know, as the storyline progresses, we're seeing him stand up for himself more and more, which I think is really satisfying as a viewer. I wonder how much of yourself do you and like your own experience do you feel like you can bring to that character? I mean, I have a lot of, you know, Guillermo qualities, I think, in me. I I know what it's like to be an underdog. I know what it's like to be, uh, you know, in a position where you're seen less than because for so long, you know, especially in Hollywood and in just in in the country in general, uh, there's always that uh, if you're part of a marginalized group or you're part of a minority or you're part of, you know, um, mm-hmm. if you're a person of color, if you're queer, like all of these things um, have become uh, a target. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but I feel like Guillermo has become a target himself in that way where he is mistreated because of, you know, the bosses that he has. So he has dreams and aspirations, but he doesn't have generational wealth you know (laughs) well and nobody's asking him like how can we facilitate these for you exactly so I think there's a lot of elements that I can relate to him and not just myself but I feel like everyone can relate to Guillermo because we've all been a Guillermo you're Mm -hmm. probably Guillermo right now if you haven't been in the past and you'll probably be a Guillermo tomorrow if you haven't so far (laughs) because we've all been in that place we've all been in a job that has overlooked us for a promotion and we've all been you know um basically maybe in love or infatuated with someone from afar that that will never see you in that light. And we've all have dreams. Like it's everyone can relate to him because we are all Guillermo's. You know, sometimes I wonder what my life would be like if I was still at Panera Bread. I'd probably be a manager. (laughs) Is it true you do your own stunts? I've, I've done pretty much all my stunts except for one that basically was an insurance <laughs> a problem. They wouldn't let me do it. Uh, but the, yeah, I did all of them. It started off as, uh, you know, can you try this? And can you try that? Like, it was like, okay, can you try a little punch? I was like, sure, yeah, let's do it. I was all pumped up about it. And I was like, can, I, can you try this? So yeah, can you run and stab that person? Yes. Can you kill these vampire twins? Yes, of course. Oh, sorry. And they're like, can you jump out of a third story window? What now? But, you know, when I'm Guillermo, 
he doesn't see how powerful he is. His strength, his quickness is like, you know, and it's kind of yeah, funny. It's almost like he doesn't even think about it. Like it's just reflexes for him. It's reflexes. You know? it's, and that's why he's always like shocked to see how fast his hands move, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Those reaction shots are always so yeah. bad. <laughs> so you've talked before and even in this interview a little bit about like how meaningful it is for you to be able to be an actor, especially in terms of representation. You know, you're the son of immigrants. You're a queer man of color. What's it like to hear from fans of the show and of Guillermo in particular? I mean, it it really it has a soft spot uh, in me just because uh, I can relate. I've been in that situation scenario. You know, we're we're doing a con before COVID um, in in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and um, there was these kids in line who were dressed up as Guillermo. Uh, and they came up and, and they just started crying and they said, um, I never saw myself on TV. So thank you for representing us. And that really broke my heart, but it also filled me with inspiration and, and with determination to continue to do what I'm doing because that if it, if it meant that much to one person, then, Mm -hmm. then it's worth everything. It's worth all the sweat, blood and tears because it, it would have meant that much to me when I was little to see someone on television who was round, brown and proud and Mm -hmm. I didn't see it. So if you don't see yourself represented, then become the first. Does that, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad you're doing it. I'm so glad it's resonating with people, but I do wonder, you know, I mean, being the first like carries its own, its own burden. Right. And I, you know, I think about the fact that you're carrying all these different identities in a groundbreaking way on TV, like, I don't know, does that ever wear you out? Or are you just glad to have the fuel of like getting to meet fans and having that experience and knowing that, you know, you can't not? I mean, I never signed up to be a role model. I never signed up to be, um, right. you know, I never signed up to do any of that. Um, it, it was by by doing and by default, I guess, that the title is given to you. And I think uh, no one, you know, who, who truly is being represented and truly trying to be an inspiration to someone seeks out to be that it happens organically and when it happens naturally and if it fades naturally it fades naturally but when it does happen it should feel natural and it shouldn't I had to learn that I, I didn't sign up to be uh, anything but uh, an entertainer and by entertaining by entertaining people I can provide an escape and and laughter and that is my contribution oh my god absolutely um can you tell the story of how you decided to become an actor because I love it very much yeah I was watching Annie when I was six years old. Uh, it was during winter break and it was me and my mom. At the time, it was just the two of us, single mom, working several jobs. And I remember watching mm-hmm. Annie and thinking, what is this world? They're laughing and singing and dancing. It's the hard knock life for us. It's the hard knock life for us. And I looked over at my mom and I said, mom, I want to be that. I want to be an orphan. <laughs> Poor mother. And she looked at me weird and she was like, ¿Qué estás loco? And I was like, what? And she's like, what are you crazy? And I was like, well, what, what's that? And I was like, no, it's like they're actors, son actores. And I was like, well, I want to be an actor. And she goes like, Nico, it's like, you know, we can, that's for rich kids. And I was like, what do you mean rich? You got to be rich to play poor on television. Um, <laughs> what she meant by that was like, no, it's for kids who have money to like get training and acting. You have to take dance classes and all right. that. And we didn't have that, you know, we were, um, we were very poor. And it was just like the idea that um, that was such a dream that could have been squashed there. And then it was in the that's one of my first experience of like what it was like to to be privileged to be the idea that if i was a different kid if like my neighbor went and asked for which they did we found out that we we're doing a, a 
uh, improv class at the community center. Mm -hmm. And she asked her parents for the $12.50 and they give her 20, you know, like, like here you go, keep the change. Yeah. I asked my mom for the $12.50. She said, absolutely not. We need mm -hmm. that money for laundry. We need that money for groceries. But she never said I couldn't do it. She said, so if you can find your own way, Miko, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, then. And I was six, but she was teaching me a lesson at six um, that you can, if you want something bad enough, you have to work for it. And sure enough, we're walking home from school one day and uh, this guy was going through trash cans. And I said, mom, what is he doing? That's so gross. And it's like, oh, vende los botes. He sells those cans. I was like, you make money from trash? And she said, yeah. And I ran, ran home and got a wire hanger and hooked it into a long skinny finger, got a, a plastic bag from Food for Less from the kitchen mm -hmm. cabinet. And then I went collecting trash uh, for four weeks so I could pay for my first improv class. I just think that's so amazing. Yeah. Do you have like kind of a bucket list dream role that you are like maybe even a little bit scared to say out loud because you are so excited to do it someday? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to play different things. I mean, this, you know, I would want to do uh, more musicals. I want to do superheroes. I want to do a villain. Yes. Um, and like, I want to think outside the box Think, you know, everything I play has been so, I've been so fortunate. It's been fun and, 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 and pretty much on the light side and bubbly and what's not and whatnot. But it would be nice to play it like, and this sounds so morbid, but like a serial killer, you know, or like something <laughs> like where you really have to be like, what is going on in their minds? And then, but also I'm terrified of that because I think of like Jack Nicholson doing the Joker. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. Oh, God. But, you know, and then I'm like, oh, maybe. So, uh, yeah, so I, I'm like really it, always interested in playing roles that challenge me. And lucky to say that I always find something in each role that I've played so far that does challenge me. So, so far, so good. Harvey Guillen, thank you so much. I can't wait for season three. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me anytime. After the break, we'll get some context behind the AMA's recommendation to remove sex markers from birth certificates. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Earlier this summer, the American Medical Association published a report that recommends that government-issued birth certificates do away with public gender markers. The idea would be to only use that information for medical, public health, and statistical use. Talking us through that recommendation and what it means is Dr. Aaron Jansen. He works at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago, where he's the Psychiatry and Behavioral Health Department's Vice Chair of Clinical Affairs. Dr. Jansen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So can we start with you explaining just sort of what the, these recommendations actually mean? Sure. So what the recommendations actually mean is that for a subset of people for whom a birth certificate designation does not match their gender identity, life is made so much easier. 
probably the most important piece to note is that for 95 to 99% of the population, this is gonna make no difference whatsoever. But for those who have transgender identities, often the birth certificate is a form of discrimination and access to services that folks who are not trans or, or intersex don't have to worry about. Historically, it used to be almost impossible to change your sex designation on your birth certificate. Some states have always been easier than others, uh, but mo most states, at least a decade ago, still required things like sterilization in order to change these markers. Mm -hmm. And it required a lot of organization on, on the part of patients to try and get the necessary letters from medical professionals and mental health professionals and some people, particularly you think about those who are adopted at birth or in the foster care setting, even just tracking down where you were born is sometimes complicated. And people don't really give credit that this isn't always the easiest process. So with this recommendation, what do you think it means in terms of, say, medical professionals or policymakers? For medical professionals, it will have essentially zero impact. Okay. The work that we do as physicians or as care providers is individualized anyway, right? We are not making assumptions about the patients based upon how they look when they walk through the door. We take a careful history to make sure we understand what is the person's identity, what parts of the body that they have or don't have, how do they feel about those things, and how is that going to impact their long-term health care, as well as the appropriate preventative care strategies. So as a physician or a healthcare provider, really, we're never looking at a birth certificate. Mm -hmm. From a policy perspective, what it means is that I, as a physician who works with transgender and intersex folks, don't have to write letters of support. I don't have to bless people's identity in order for them to have their birth certificates reflect who they are. On that point, you mentioned different legislation in different states. How likely do you think it is that, you know, a recommendation like this from the AMA could actually motivate states to change laws around birth certificates? Given what we've seen in the last four or five years where transgender youth, for whatever reason, um, have been a wedge issue in the culture war, it's hard to imagine that changes that involve um, rights of transgender individuals are going to pass by without a certain degree of scrutiny. And so we're going to be left in the same position that we've been in left end for a long time, which is that in some states, treatment is easier, you have access to care, the legal statutes are in your favor, and in other states, it's going to be very challenging to make these changes. And I think from a medical provider perspective, I would just reiterate that we are treating kids and adults, and we want to be able to treat folks with the best evidence Anytime the government is involved in making those decisions, it gets a little bit more complicated and the decisions become much more controversial. Do you think it'll change how you treat your patients? It sounds like you were sort of already embodying a lot of what you find the spirit of this new recommendation to be anyway. Uh, it will absolutely change it. Right now in the state of Illinois, where I practice, I'm required to provide an affidavit that patients have undergone appropriate treatment for gender transition. Mm. The, the patients themselves are really the only ones who are going to be able to say what is adequate and appropriate in terms of gender transition. And with these changes, I don't have to be in a position of codifying somebody's experiences or identities. The joy that I see on 
my patients' faces when they know that their markers have been changed, that their birth certificate's aligned with who they are, that their driver's license is aligned with who they are, that their name has been legally changed, that this is a part of treatment. Dr. Jansen, thank you so much for talking with me about this. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's fun. All right, that's it for today. You can keep in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Nerdette Podcast. We also have a Facebook group that's pretty sweet. There are a lot of good nerds over there, and they probably like some of the same stuff as you, and they are ready to chat with you about whatever you're into. You can join us there at facebook.com slash groups slash Nerdette HQ. And we have a newsletter. It has links to stuff that you probably want to have on your radar, like books and recipes and all kinds of good stuff, along with old episodes that you might want to know about. You can get that at wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. The show is produced by me, Hannah Edgar, and Anna Bauman. Welcome, Anna. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.